This morning, as Pastor Keith has already introduced the background for the sermon, we're in John chapter 17, and Jesus is praying. And the essence of his prayer has to do, I think I could say it this way, with two essentials. First of all, that the glory of God will be manifested. That's his priority. The glory of God is the priority of the Lord Jesus, not only in the prayer, but throughout his life and for all eternity. That's the priority. And the way that God is to be glorified according to his own eternal determination is in a people to whom he gives, whom he gives to Jesus and who will be his forever. So in this prayer, Jesus prays for us. Now, how many of us, oh, by the way, we're not going to follow the notes as closely as you might think. How many of us know that probably our greatest prayer priority and burden is that our children be saved and kept saved. How many of you can say amen? amen? The worst message that we could ever hear is not that our child died unexpectedly, but that our child is not with the Lord forever. Amen. That's the greatest burden. Why? Why is that our burden? Because we love our children. And so in verses 16, I'm sorry, I forgot where I am. Verses 11 to 16, this is Jesus' burden for us. So let me read it and let's go through it. And what I'm going to do is not going to go verse by verse, but just lift out a couple of salient issues to talk about. So John chapter 17, 11 through 16. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, or your Bible may say the son of perdition, in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that they, you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus is leaving. And his burden is not for himself. But his burden is for these whom he loves to be kept, to be protected. Now, how many of us would expect this if we had never read this gospel account? 
Jesus is leaving, and he's leaving his disciples in the most dangerous arena there is. The world that is under the control of the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He is leaving them in a world that hates him and puts him to death. And in the same way that they hated him, they hate them. So he is leaving them in a hostile and volatile and poisonous place, spiritually speaking at least. And what would we expect Jesus to ask the Father? I am leaving and will you what? Bring them with me. Right? You say, well, Jesus loves his disciples. Why is he asking God to protect them? Why is he saying, I'm going to leave them here? It's because Jesus loves us, not as the world loves us, but Jesus loves us with that particular, peculiar, unique love of God. He loves them in and for the glory of God. He loves them in order with God's love, in order that they manifest the glory of God right here in this place. You see, it was for this purpose that they were saved, that they would receive the glory of God in themselves by the Holy Spirit. And that God during this period of time on earth would begin to manifest who he really is to a lost and dying world. That when they see us, they see the glory of God the Father. They see the glory of the risen Son. This is how he loves us. He doesn't love us in an escaping way, but he loves us by promising and asking the Father to keep us in the midst of all that is going on, not from what's going on, but in what's going on. So as we go through this valley of the shadow of death, we can be those who are manifesting how great our God is. How many of us have seen in the lives of others, perhaps in our own, the extraordinary presence and work of God, especially in a person or in people who are going through what we might call hell on earth. How many of us have seen that? The glory shines more greatly and brilliantly in that context. So in verse 11, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me. Now, when the Bible uses the word name in reference to God, it's not like my name is Peter, your name is Fred, Sam, Bill. It's not that. The word name has to do with the unchangeable character and purpose of God. So Jesus is saying, keep them within the context of, of being made one with you in a way that manifests your glory, your character.
So keep them in your name. But then Jesus says this, your name you have given to me. Now this is essential that we pick this up right in the beginning. Because the entire ability for Jesus to do anything upon this earth and in eternity rests in this one fact that Jesus has been given by the Father, the Father's name. So what does that mean? That means that Jesus himself, as the Son of God, who has the same character and who possesses the same nature and purpose and will of God, that that same character and purpose of God is now manifested in this man called Jesus. So essentially what Jesus is doing, he is declaring his divinity. He is declaring that he is the son of God. You remember in John 5, 43, Jesus said this, I have come in my father's name. I have come with the character and the will and the purpose of God. This is who I am. In Hebrews 1, 3, the word says, Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. So upon this most central fact rests the purpose and work of God in Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus kept his disciples while he was on earth. You remember that? He says, Father, keep them. You've been keeping them, but continue to keep them in your character, in your will. And by the way, you have given me your character and your will. So how does Jesus keep his disciples while on earth? Well, I think we could all come up with a lot of examples because we know the story. But let me read this story to you from Luke 8, 22 to 25. And it is a display, at least among many, of how Jesus himself keeps his disciples from being overcome and destroyed by the enemy. And in the same way, in the same way as he kept his disciples, not from the difficulties, but in them, protecting them from being overcome and destroyed by the enemy, in the same way he did that while on earth, he does it today in heaven. Amen? So one of the reasons why it is so significant for us to have read and be familiar with these miracles of Jesus. It's not like, wow, look what he did. But he is demonstrating his authority as the son of God to bring people out of darkness into the marvelous light of God himself. And not only to bring them out of darkness into the light of God, but then to maintain and to guard and to keep them in that light all the way to the end. Today, you may be struggling, not maybe with the fact that you're saved, that you're a child of God, but perhaps you said that thing for the 50th time and you shouldn't have said it. Perhaps you look that way one more time when you knew it was wrong. Perhaps you did or whatever something that into your mind comes this thought. 
I don't know whether God will continue to keep me saved. I think those thoughts come into our minds. Why? Because there is an enemy who wants to undermine our assurance in the eternal, determined, decree, unchangeable forever of God's will to save us and then having saved us to keep us by the same power with which he saved us. That's an enemy scheme. So hopefully this morning, some of the things we will say, the Holy Spirit will use to strengthen your assurance. And as your assurance is strengthened, your walk will be strengthened. One of the issues that I am experiencing, you see me a couple of times kind of going to one side or another. And I know Jean is worried of that. I should have brought the cane. Maybe she's right, but here I am. And I was bedridden. And when I finally was able to start getting around, I found that my legs were very, very weak. Now, I'm 79 years old. So a 79-year-old man loses strength in his legs faster than a 25-year-old man. And the more my legs are strengthened, the more steadily I can walk. Have you ever seen that in yourself? God desires to assure us not only that we are in Christ, if you are in Christ, but that he is guarding and keeping and watching over. And God guarantees, may I use that word again, Cretia? God guarantees that those whom he has saved, he keeps saved. Can you say amen loudly? Amen. He has guaranteed. On what basis? On the basis of the shed blood of his son. Which is accepted by God in the resurrection. And applied to us in power in his ascension when he sends the Holy Spirit. Right, Victor? Those of us who are in Christ are guaranteed we will get to the other shore. Now, I don't know how much I'm going to finish this, but learn this. We're going to get to the other side, so let's continue to read. Yes, you may clap. You will never interrupt me by making noises and clapping. Jesus said to his disciples, got into a boat and he said to them listen to what he said let what pronoun go ahead you can say it us now Seth what does us mean weans everybody he's talking to usins weans did, did you get it let us This is the son of God on earth who has been given the authoritative power to do anything and everything that he does. 
for God's will to be succeeded. So Cliff, when he says us, that includes us in here who belong to him. Let us go, us, go over to the other side of the lake. Do you see it? Darren, do you see that? Let's get in the boat. We're in the boat. And we're going to the other side. What did he say? Man, I hope it don't rain today. This boat leaks. What did he say? Thems of you who are with me in the boat, we're going to the other side. We're going to the other side. There's no equivocation here. He didn't say, we're going to the other side. If you two men do this, that, and the other thing. He doesn't say that. The fact that we're going to the other side is based in the fact or the truth that we are with him in the boat. But they were sailing along and he fell asleep. How many times have we felt Jesus was falling asleep? Come on. And he, I know I went through some horrific experiences and that came to my mind. Bob, God is not hearing me. Barbara, I just felt, you know, uh, he's not there. That's how I felt. But theologically, I knew better. And I had to overcome my feelings and experiences with the word of truth. So he's sleeping and a fierce gale wind descended upon the lake. And they began to be swamped and to be in danger. Guess whose attack that is? Who's Satan? They came to Jesus and woke him up and say, ah, we're drowning. Don't you care? Don't you care? Master, we're perishing. And Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves. And what happened? And they stopped and it became calm. They got to the other side. Why? Because the disciples had enough faith that they were going to the other side. That helps. But the reason they got to the other side is the son of God has said, what? We're going all the way across. Now, how do we know today? How do we know that Jesus will be able to keep us safe to the end? How do we know that? Well, there's a little scripture in Hebrews 13, 8 that is highly significant. What does it say? Somebody say it. Hebrews 13, 8. Can somebody say it? Does anybody know it? Jesus Christ, the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So as he did then... He is doing today and he will continue to do because there is no variation in the character and will and purpose of the Lord Jesus. There's no variation. 
It doesn't get high and low and maybe whatever dependent upon us. It is the unchangeable, immutable will of the Father that Jesus will keep us. And how we believe, as we believe Hebrews 8.13, why is it true? What is the basis of Hebrews 13.8 being true? Because he's risen from the dead. Amen. He's risen from the dead. In other words, Hebrews 8.1, Jesus has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And because Jesus has been glorified, he now keeps us by our new position in him and our practice in us. So I want to make sure we see this as we travel through the rest of it. We are kept unto the end on the basis of three facts. Know this is in your notes and if you want to, you can put it down. We are kept to the end on the basis of three truths. First, Jesus' person. Because of him. Second, because of our position in him. And third, through our Practice through his practice in us. Person, position, and practice. Those three together are the reason, first, that we're saved, and then second, that we are kept saved until the end. The person of Christ, our position in Christ, and his practice in us. Not our practice. I'm not emphasizing that. It is his practice in us with which we are cooperating. You see, there is in the heavens. Now see this. There is in the heavens right now a glorified man. Think about it. There is in the heavens, in the throne of God, who sits at the right hand of the Father and who is ever there. And we have been brought into him. And our security is based in this. That God has sent his son to pay the full, final, and forever price for our redemption. So that by the Spirit's power, God the Father places us relationally, positionally in his Son, Mike, who is at the right hand. Our security is this. As long as this heavenly man remains before the Father, representing us, as long as he remains in the glory of God, 
we remain. If he goes, what? We go. Now, is that security? Philip, is Jesus going anywhere? No. So I want you to get this if we don't get much more. There is a risen man who has been given all authority in heaven and earth. This God-man who has been given God's own authority as the incarnate son of God, the son of man. And he has been put to death at the cross for the payment of our sin. Enduring the wrath of God on our behalf instead of us and for us. And then God the Father, by the Spirit, according to Jesus' will, raises him from the dead. And he ascends to heaven where he is crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when God does that, when God does that, get my, get my um, uh, word here. When God does it, where are all believers? When Jesus rose from the dead, where were we? relationally in the mind of God. When Jesus ascended in the heavens, where were we? When Jesus was crowned King of Kings, Lord of Lords, having been given all authority, triumphant forever, where were we? How many of you know Galatians 2.20? Would you write that reference down, Galatians 2.20? Can someone stand and recite it for us without reading it? Who can recite it by heart? Stand up and read it. I mean, uh, stand up without reading it. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. The life that I now live, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. What are we doing here? We're giving us the biblical basis for our security and for the fact that Jesus who has saved us and the father who has secured us in his son will keep us to the end because Jesus loses none, none. He continues to keep us by the power of his spirit. By the way, I, I forgot to say a couple of other things. When Jesus ascended into the heavens, he sent the Holy Spirit, remember, to save us. We were in Christ when he died, when he was buried, when he rose again, and when he ascended. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 6. As a result of his ascension. Now, don't hold me to a time frame here because that's kind of fuzzy. God did in us, at least we experienced it. He, transferred, he delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of God's dear son. 
Colossians 1.13. And because he did that, and the reason he did that is to take us out from the cell of sin from which we could not escape. Remember, we were all born in sin. And he unlocked the cell door and he opened the door and he says to those, his people, come on out. And we, by faith, walked out, correct? And now we're free. We have been freed from the incarcerating authority of Satan. As a result of that, we have been given a new heart by the Spirit. Where do we see that described in the Old Testament? Remember in Ezekiel 36, verses 36 and 7. And so he keeps us by transferring us out of the kingdom of darkness. We're no longer under the authoritative incarceration of Satan. Now, what does that mean? It does not mean that Satan cannot tempt us. You see, we have to make a distinction between authority and power. Authority is that intrinsic ability to do something or not to do it. Power is the activity of putting that something into, act, into action. So before we were saved, we were under the authority of Satan. Therefore, we had to sin when he said sin or when we were tempted because we had no choice. But we have a choice now, and he has freed us. He has delivered us from that. Now he has given us that new heart. So that's what he's done positionally in us. Now, we've left out a lot of things, but... I think you're beginning to get it. Now, in practice, now that we are his, he is now producing in us the activity of his own righteousness, having given us a new heart to want and therefore to be able to obey. And now, remember what I said our position in Christ and his activity, his practice in us. What is God's practice in us? Here it is, Philippians 2.13. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work according to his purpose. Why am I being kept? I'm being kept because God has decreed that I will be kept. How have I been kept? I have been kept positionally. And what is the activity of my having been, my being kept today? We have been given the Holy Spirit, who is God's power in us, having changed our hearts from a disobedient heart to a believing, accepting, obedient heart. 
And now God himself, Jesus himself, by the Spirit, is at work in each of us through our cooperation and yielding to and walking with the work of the Holy Spirit as he himself is producing in us the work and the will of God. Now, do you notice I, that was all passive voice? Remember, passive voice, the ball was hit rather than I hit the ball. You notice I didn't say this. He keeps us as we obey. That's not incorrect, but if we're not careful and put too much emphasis on me, I, my, then what will happen is that we will fall into the trap that when we don't see ourselves obeying the way we know we should, we will come under the potential feeling of condemnation and guilt and begin to worry about whether I'm going to make it to the end. We neither could work our way into heaven and we cannot keep our way in heaven through our works. Amen? Why is this important? Because you see, we have to be relieved of the significance of ourselves and the necessity of what I must do, not only to be saved, but to be kept saved. And we must be experiencing and brought to the place doctrinally and as I said, experientially, that we are realizing more and more every day, I'm saved by grace. But then we think what? But I am being kept saved by what? My works, my obedience. We are both saved by grace and we are maintained by the same grace. See, this is why we know that we are secure in Christ. Remember John 10, 29, Jesus says, My Father who has given them, the apostles, the disciples, us, my Father who has given us to me, he said, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And whom does that no one also refer to? Who? Satan. No one. Now, either Jesus is right here or he's incorrect. And as a result of that, as a result of what we have been saying, we read in Hebrews 7.25, therefore, he is able... To save to the uttermost. What does that mean? Dan what? Forever. He is able to save forever. Those who draw near to him, to God through him. You see, when we're saved, we are embracing Jesus as our savior. And in doing that, we are drawing near to God. Because we are being drawn to God by the spirit. Why? Because he ever lives to make intercession for them. 
I think the word intercession means more than just praying, obviously. But the basis of the ability of Jesus to keep us, as I said in the very beginning, is that he is a risen, exalted man, the risen, exalted man who is in the glory of God forever, forever. And he's never going anywhere. And by grace, we have been put into him by the Holy Spirit because God has determined that we would be in Christ before the foundation of the world. And so because we are now in him, how many of us, when we look in our own lives, we lament the lack of victory? Can you raise your hand? Lament the lack of victory and obedience. Amen? You ever feel that way? I did it again. I can't believe I... We lack it. But the problem is we're looking at our victory and the way we understand victory, not from God's perspective. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God, what? Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I think we can say it this way safely. Thanks be to God who gives us Jesus' own victory. Have you thought of that? In Christ, we are kept by Jesus forever because we have his active, continuing, unstoppable, unchangeable, immutable victory working in us. Remember what we said in Philippians 2. It is God who is at work in us both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. This is why the Apostle Paul could say what he did in Philippians 1.6. Remember what Philippians 1.6 says? For I am confident, what? Of this very one thing. Listen to this guy. There are churches that tell us that we cannot know for sure. But God says we can. And the devil says, no, no, no. And you and I must say, you're a liar. Get out of my face. Because God says it. And when God says it, we know it's true. So what does one Philipp Philippians 1, 6 say? For I am persuaded of this very one thing, that he has begun work in us. Well, what? He's going to bring it to completion when? When Jesus returns. How could Paul say that? Because Paul knew that he who saved him has guaranteed that he will be kept saved to the end. The significance of what we're saying this morning should be obvious. We need this kind of assurance in these days, any days, 
and for any of us and all of us to some degree, but maybe some of you who have been battling against assurance, with assurance rather, when Jesus asks the Father this, do you believe the Father says yes, okay? Hmm? Does God answer Jesus' request to keep us? Okay. Do you believe you are saved? Then equally, do you believe he'll keep you saved? By the same power he saved you, he will keep us saved. It's not a divisible power. It is the same power. So remember the words in Luke 8. What did Jesus say? Let's go to the other side of the lake. Who kept them safe in that boat during the storm? He did. Who overcame the winds and the waves of adversity? He did. And who got them to the other side safely and with great joy? He did. As he did for them. He is doing for us. And he will do for us. So that we can expectantly anticipate his great return. When he one day will break through the clouds with a shout. I like that. And he will descend and receive us to himself. Amen. How do I know it, Rob? Because he said so. Where is it guaranteed? In the historical sense, it's guaranteed in his death on the cross, verified by his resurrection, and applied through his exaltation. If you're sitting here this morning, And you realize on the inside of you, I don't even know whether I'm saved and I want to be. I want to have an assurance. I don't want to be condemned. I don't want to suffer the wrath of God. I'm just realizing this is all true. It's true. God did send his son into the world to save sinners. To pay the penalty for our sin. So that in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension by sending the Holy Spirit, we can have eternal life. Amen? If you're here this morning and you're not sure about this and you have that feeling, that desire in your heart, what should I do? How should I respond? As we all bow our heads in prayer, I'm just going to ask you to do something simple. Would you just raise your hand wherever you are? If you have a sense, I need, I want to ask Jesus to receive me. I receive him. Anyone at all. And if not here, maybe later. Father, thank you. 
Thank you that your word says God is not a man that he should lie. Father, you are truth itself. Father, you don't have truth. You are truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, thank you for sending the Lord Jesus to save us, to maintain us, and to keep us to the end. We know this is true because Jesus has been has raised has rose from the dead and has given us the gift of his holy spirit. Father, thank you for this. May we leave today with a greater assurance in Jesus name. Amen.